Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette Today on all podcast platforms. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say Alexa or Hey Google, play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit the Corvette Today website. It's CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. And while you're there, make sure you visit the Corvette Today merchandise store. You can also sign up for Corvette Today emails, notifications, and updates at corvettetoday.ck.page. And don't forget, join the Corvette Today Facebook group. We have over 3,000 members, and I'd love to have you as a member as well. I'm also excited to tell you about the new YouTube channel for Corvette Today. See your favorite Corvette Today podcasts now on YouTube. First, I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette today, Aerolari Wheels, a true forged wheel with over 20 unique design styles to choose from for your C8 and wide-body versions of the C7, C6, and C5 Corvette. It's an absurd value starting at only $19.88 for a set of four fully forged wheels. And use the promo code CT100 for Corvette Today 100 and get $100 off your purchase. Visit aerolari.com. That's A-E-R-O-L-A-R-R-I.com. And use the promo code CT100 for your $100 discount. Also, Corvette Fever magazine. Corvette Fever has been relaunched with an online and printed version. The online version has incredible interactivity with hidden photos and information, and the printed version is nothing like you've ever seen before, huge and glossy. Get your free online version at CorvetteFeverMag.com. You can also sign up for the printed version there as well. Corvette Fever magazine, come along for the ride. Also, MidEngineCorvetteForum.com, the forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette. Meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. Also, a shout-out to canadiancorvetteforum.com, welcoming Corvette owners from around the world. My guest on Corvette today is the brand-new president and CEO of the National Corvette Museum. She grew up in a car family, she's a native of Kentucky, and she's been around Corvettes all of her life. I am so pleased and excited to have, as my guest on the podcast, Sharon Bronner. Sharon, welcome to Corvette Today. Well, thank you so much. I'm very pleased to be here with you today and excited to talk with you and your audience. I'm glad to have you here myself. Sharon, you're a Kentucky native. You were born and raised. Talk about your hometown and growing up with your family and your mom and dad. Absolutely. I'm always happy to talk about home. Home is Hodgenville, Kentucky. It's about 35 to 45 minutes, depending on if you're driving a Corvette or not, uh, about north of Bowling Green. Very small hometown. Only famous, really, because Abraham Lincoln was actually born in Hodgenville, Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, a pretty small little place. We didn't even have a traffic light until I was almost a senior in high school. No kidding. <laughs> yep. Amazing. But a great little town, and I certainly enjoyed being from there. Most people know where Hodgenville is if you say, you know where Elizabethtown, Kentucky is? And most people know where E-Town is, so that's how you generally will be able to give folks direction to Hodgenville. 
As far as growing up, I'm an only child. And so with that sort of tells a little bit of the story of why I'm such a car girl. Mom and dad and and I did everything together. Whatever daddy was into, mom and I were right there with him. It didn't matter if it was drag racing cars or flying airplanes, pulling hot tractors, riding motorcycles, you name it. And basically you can tell from that list of things that if horsepower was involved, that's what we were doing. I was very fortunate to grow up in such a close-knit family and to be super involved in everything that was going on. And they did that with me even after I became an adult. So whatever I was into, mom and dad were always very involved and I'm very blessed for that. Now, your dad was a big motorhead, and like you said, he was a drag racer, too. Talk about your dad's love for cars and his approach to automobiles. Sure. I've told people that when I was little, when dad was drag racing, when he first started drag racing, mom tells the story, actually, that the first time I ever came to Beach Bend Park here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, to the drag strip, I was actually inside her belly. And so I've been coming (laughs) to Beach Bend and to drag racing strips even before I was born. Dad loved anything to do with cars. And as I was saying earlier, speed, motorsports of any kind or anything that had to do with an engine. He was not really a sports guy unless it had to do with cars. So he wasn't the football, basketball kind of dad. He was anything to do with cars and speed kind of dad. As far as his approach to automobiles, I actually put this in my cover letter to the search committee when I applied for this job. Cars were not just a mode of transportation in my family. They were given high respect and high regard. Every Sunday, it was car washing day. We washed every vehicle we had. It didn't matter if it was a farm truck or if it was the family car or the special car that we might own at that time. He always loved them from when he was a very young man. He grew up on a farm, very poor family in central Kentucky, and he had to learn how to work on tractors as a young boy. He was always tinkering with something, trying to either make it run make it run better, make it run more efficiently. And then eventually that just translated over to making things go fast. Drag racing was really his most favorite way to enjoy the sport. He did love NASCAR. We certainly went to the Indianapolis 500. He loved all forms of motorsports, but drag racing was definitely his favorite. And so growing up in that kind of environment, I learned a lot about cars from a very small age. I worked out in the shop with him. His garage was always pristine at the end of every day. Everything had to be completely cleaned up and put back and ready for the next day. And that's how we just approached everything around cars. It always had to be absolutely at the very best of its ability and our ability to make them look nice, to run well, and to have fun. And they were representative of who we were as a family. Sharon, I think your family and my family were somehow related because Sundays were car washing day and clean out the garage day every single Sunday in my family as well. (laughs) My family owned a chain of appliance stores here in Kansas City. And before the blue law was repealed, meaning he couldn't work on Sunday, every Sunday Mm -hmm. we were out washing cars, cleaning out the garage. It sounds a lot like what you went through as a child as well. Absolutely. And I, I didn't know any other way. So that was just the way it was. Yes, absolutely right. Now, I know your dad's dream car was a Corvette. Did he ever own a Corvette? Oh, yes. He owned three in his lifetime. The very first one, he bought brand new off the showroom floor, a 1982 Corvette. Black T-tops, rally wheels, black leather interior. Clearly, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was about to be a senior in high school. 
Because it was. It was his dream to own one, and he wanted to be able to afford to go buy a brand new one. It's a really great story, actually. When he went to go get it in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, next door to my little hometown, there was a Chevrolet dealer, Herb Jones Chevrolet. Wow. It had been there always, as far as I knew, and still is. But nevertheless, the Corvette was sitting there on their showroom floor, small showroom floor. Daddy woke me up that Saturday morning, and he said, I think today's the day we're going to go buy that Corvette. He said, you want to go? And I said, well, of course I want to go. <laughs> and so we went over there. And, of course, we had bought many, many cars from the Herb Jones Chevrolet dealership in our lifetime. And so I watched Dad negotiate for this car. That's when negotiating a price was quite the art form, in my opinion. Right. And so he got within $500 on the price. The salesman, I'll never forget it, he leaned over from his desk, and Dad and I were sitting in the guest chairs, of course, and he said, Jim, are you going to let $500 keep you from buying this car? My dad leaned forward, and he said, Jerry, are you going to let $500 keep you from selling it? <laughs> Great response. And he looked right at me and he said, come on, Sharon, let's go home. And of course, I'm just floored that we're not going to buy this car. And yes, $500 was a lot of money and it definitely was in late 1981. But nevertheless, I was like, we're $500 away from driving home a new Corvette. What are you doing? (laughs) But I'm not saying a word. And so we get in the car. And of course, this was before cell phones were in people's cars and well before they were in all of our hands. So we're driving home in complete silence. I'm saying nothing. And eventually I work up the nerve to say something. And I said, Daddy, are you really not going to buy that car over that $500? And he said, Sharon, you just pay attention. He'll call. And so we pulled in the driveway about 10 minutes later. And sure enough, we hadn't much more walked through the back door and the phone rang. Of course, again, No caller ID, no nothing like that. It was just a wall phone with a big long cord on it. And he said, answer the phone. So I did. And I said, Hornback Residence. And the gentleman said, Sharon. And I said, yes. He said, this is Jerry at Herb Jones. Tell your daddy to come back and get the car. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So we did. And I got the privilege of driving it off the showroom floor and driving it home. My father was very proud. He went on to own two others, a 1974 hardtop and a softtop, four-speed, fabulous car, and then also a 1969 Stingray, which he converted into one of the very last drag racing cars that we ever had. What a fantastic story, Sharon. That's awesome. That is really cool. Now, I know you and your mom and your daughters still attend car shows. Talk about the shows that you guys attend and some of the cars that have been restored in your family. You bet. My dad, in his professional years, he worked many, many years civil service at Fort Knox, as well as did my mother. She was in human resources at Fort Knox. So when they both retired about, well, I guess it would be soon to be 24 years ago now, they retired from their regular day job and then went home and dad got the idea of restoring classic cars. And so one of the very first cars he came across was a 1957 sedan delivery. Now, for those of you that love classic cars, you'll know that a Chevrolet sedan delivery, especially in 1957, was a very rare car. There were only 7,200 and some odd of them made. I don't have the exact number, but it was just a few over 7,200. And so Dad found it in a tobacco barn and came home with his eyes very wide open and said, you're never going to believe what I found today. We have to buy it and we have to restore it. This is a very rare car. So he did. And it's a beautiful, beautiful restoration. And when he got ready to decide what engine to put in it, 
Of course, he put a Corvette engine in it. Of course. <laughs> it has an LS3 in it, and so it will absolutely rock on. It is so much fun to drive, and it's a sleeper because people roll up beside that car and assume that it's going to be just a typical V6 or a V8 maybe if you're real lucky. And, of course, when they decide they want to see just how fast it'll go, myself and my daughters are always happy to oblige. But <laughs> it's a beautiful car. It's won numerous car shows because, again, it's rare. It was done with a lot of care and concern over the smallest of details. That's what really made Dad's restoration project special. We also have a 1955 Tudor hardtop, and it's Viper Red, gorgeous car, and it has an LT1 Corvette engine. He really modified that car so that it could be, I mean, you could drive it every day, and it would be very fun to drive, no problems at all. And it, too, has won a lot of car shows. It actually won the Chevy Vet Fest up in Chicago, ah, and it was best of show, or Top Gun is what they called it, excuse me, in 2005, as I recall. And then we also have a 1937 Ford business coupe. Unfortunately, he did not put a Corvette engine in this one, but he was determined, and it does sound really sweet, it has a nailhead Buick engine in it. Wow, you got a great array of cars there, Sharon. <laughs> we do. They're lots of fun. It's real fun when we roll in with all three of them because they are very attractive cars, and then when we park them, and all of us pile out as girls, that really gets people talking. So <laughs> it is a lot of fun. Daddy always wanted that to be the case. Fantastic. Now, obviously, you're a car person from early on. The question is, Sharon, do you own a Corvette? And if you do, tell us the story behind it. Because as I always say, every Corvette owner has a story. <laughs> well, yes, that's very true. I am a Corvette owner. I have a 2019 Arctic White Grand Sport. Matter of fact, I'm looking out the window of my office, looking right at it. The reason that I bought this particular car and when I bought it um, is, is a very interesting story. I'll tell it quickly if I can. Early on in my young adult professional career, around mm, 22, 23 years old, I went to work in Dallas, Texas at the Lowe's Anatole Hotel. Very large, beautiful hotel close to downtown Dallas. And the lady that was the president of that hotel, she was also the president and CEO of the Dallas Convention and Visitors Bureau. That was the first time that had ever happened in Dallas for a hotelier to actually hold the office of president and CEO for the city of Dallas for their Convention and Visitors Bureau. Very unheard of. She was a brilliant woman. She made a huge impression on me. She was beautiful. She was impeccably dressed every day. But she also drove to work every day in a gorgeous white Jaguar. Wow. And I thought, now that is class. And I want to do that. But mine has to be a Corvette because of my dad. And so I never lost sight of that. And all throughout my career, I always thought, when I get to be a president and CEO, I will be driving my white Corvette. And she also had fresh flowers on her desk every Monday for the entire week. And those were the two things that I always held on to that I thought those were sort of a mark of success. And so when I was senior vice president at the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, my husband said when I got the promotion, he said, honey, don't you want to go ahead and get that Corvette? I think you've more than earned it. This is a wonderful pinnacle moment in your career. And I said, I really appreciate that. I said, but no, I'm not getting that white Corvette until I'm a president and CEO somewhere. And so he said, hi, but just know the offer's there if you want it. And I said, no, not yet. And so when I interviewed for this position, 
he asked me, he said, if you get the job, I said, yes, I will have that white Corvette. And so as soon, I mean, literally as soon as I knew the job was mine, the contract had been signed, and I sent it back, my husband, Eddie, said, so I guess this means we're going to shop for a Corvette. And I said, yes. That was on a Friday at 5.30. The next day, we looked at them, and I drove home my 2019 Arctic White on Sunday. That's fantastic. What a great story. Sharon, let's take a quick break. And in segment number two, we are going to talk about your working career. We're talking with Sharon Bronner, the new president and CEO of the National Corvette Museum on Corvette Today. Stretch the life of your Corvette's paint with Nova Stretch Performance Protective Covers. Nova Stretch Covers provide superior protection for your C5 through C8 Corvette, utilizing stretch fabric technology and an innovative fastening system for quick installation and easy removal and storage. Made in the USA for a tailored fit, the patented design and breathable mesh protects your Corvette without rubbing or chafing the paint like traditional bras. And unlike clear film solutions, Nova Stretch provides full front-end coverage including the grill, keeping radiators and heat exchangers clean without creating airflow issues. Visit NovaStretch.com and use the code CorvetteToday15 to get 15% off your order. Protect your Corvette with Nova Stretch. VetFinders.com is the Internet's original Corvette classified ads website with classified ads starting at just $25 and every ad runs until your Corvette is sold. If you're in the market for a Corvette, VetFinders.com has over 500 Corvettes for sale from all around the USA and Canada and covering all eight generations. Visit VetFinders.com, the Internet's destination for buying and selling Corvettes. That's V-E-T-T-E Finders.com. You're listening to the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me today is Sharon Bronner, the new president and CEO of the National Corvette Museum. In this second segment, we're going to talk about Sharon's working career. Sharon, tell me where you went to college and what did you study there? Well, uh, once again, another irony in that very question is that I actually attended school right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky at Western Kentucky University. Nice. I was a public relations major with an emphasis in journalism at the time, and then I minored in business and speech. Very nice. Now, early on in your career, you did work in the hotel industry like we briefly touched on in segment number one. Talk about that part of your working career. Well, I spent about 10, maybe 11 years in the hotel industry, starting off in smaller, what would be referenced as more of a corporate type hotel, meaning one that is two or 300 rooms with maybe just a little bit of meeting space. I fell into the industry when I left Bowling Green. I went to San Antonio, Texas. I was chasing a boy, if you want me to tell you the truth. <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, I went there without a job and fell into a hotel office and just sort of got the bug planted. I've always been told I have the gift of gab and that I am a natural salesperson. So it just sort of started to evolve naturally. I didn't go thinking I would be in the hotel side of it. And so I left San Antonio, came back to Kentucky, but I went to Louisville, Kentucky at the Galt House Hotel, which is the largest hotel in Louisville, about 1,300 rooms. And that's where I really made the leap into the convention industry. And so when I started working in larger hotels, 
that's when it all started to click to understand the whole industry of conventions and tourism, as well as overall leisure travel. So I went from Louisville to then back to Dallas, Texas at the Anatole that I mentioned earlier, and then to Nashville. And I got to Nashville because, again, I was in those larger hotels. So I came to work at the Opryland Hotel. And at the time, it was 1,900 rooms. Of course, it has since expanded. And so that whole time of learning, like I said, the whole hospitality, entertainment, tourism industry was very, very appropriate from a hotel perspective, understanding how attractions and museums and other institutions play into the overall picture for folks as they're making their travel plans or considering as a meeting planner their convention destination. Then I spent about three or four years in professional sports. So I worked in arena football as well as in AAA baseball, both of those in Nashville. Again, similar type of structure. So you're in entertainment. You definitely are relying on the tourism space and you're in the hospitality business for sure. And then I made the switch over to the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum. And so 20 years at that museum, all in preparation for what I'm doing today. That's fantastic. That had to be a lot of fun working for the Nashville Sounds, the AAA baseball team, and the Nashville Cats, the arena football team, and then the Country Music Hall of Fame spending 20 years there. That had to be amazing. Talk about those years and the accomplishments that you made there at the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh my gosh, a 20-year career. I've been so very blessed to go to work there. I absolutely love country music. I've said it before in other interviews. I really thought that when I got that job, I'd probably retire from there. But I will say that in the 20 years that I spent there, I did enjoy accomplishing a lot of things. When I first started at the museum, it was in October of 2001. And the new location that it's in now in downtown Nashville had only opened back in May of that year. So they opened great fanfare, this new beautiful facility in downtown Nashville. And then very shortly thereafter, unfortunately, we all know that September 11th happened. And so that changed everything, right? It changed people's travel. I mean, it changed us all forever. Amen. But it definitely affected what they had hoped would be a pretty amazing jumpstart for a brand new facility. And that didn't happen. So I got there and we were about, in rough figures, about $32 million in debt with this brand new beautiful building. And there wasn't much of a desired travel for quite some time after that. And so we were in a little bit of debt and we had a pretty hard road ahead of us. But my job when I first started there was to oversee certain parts of our income streams. And eventually I would be over all of the income streams on the earned side as a not-for-profit. You have earned income, you have control. So eventually my job would grow and I was a part of the senior staff, clearly a senior vice president. So growing each one of our lines of business, whether it was our special events business, private events, food and beverage, both restaurant and catering, our retail stores, certainly driving ticket sales. I oversaw all of our marketing, public relations, all of our digital properties from social channels and websites, and then eventually our information and technology area. So again, I said it before that if you look back over my entire career, from the minute I started in that hotel sales office when I was 20-something years old until I made the decision to leave the Country Music Hall of Fame after 20 years, everything, every step I've made, both in my career as well as having the good fortune of being the daughter to my mom and dad who loved this car, who loved automobiles and motorsports, everything has been leading me to this job. 
that's why it's the perfect opportunity for me to be here now. Here, here. I totally agree, Sharon. Now, being a radio disc jockey myself here in Kansas City for the last 44 years, I was really intrigued with your association to the historic RCA Studio B. It's the home of a thousand hits. Talk more about that. You know, that is such a special, special place. Have you ever been there? I have not. Oh my gosh, you definitely have to go. It's this tiny little unassuming building on Music Row. RCA decided that they needed a studio in Nashville. So it was built with very small, meager means, but it did go on to be home to a thousand top 10 records all done between 1957 and 1977. RCA had made the decision many months prior, but in August of 1977, that would be the day that Studio B would close. All of RCA's studios were going to cease to operate. And it was on August 17th, which happened to be the day after Elvis died. A lot of people felt like that was done because of it, but it really wasn't. So from 1977 until 2000. I think it was 2003, that studio was closed. And so when I started in 2001, I asked the question, why is this studio not open to the public? And it just simply was because no one had taken the opportunity to figure out how we could make tours available over on Music Row when we had been relocated to downtown Nashville. And I said, we have to make this happen. The public needs to see this important studio and to hear the music that was made here. Long story short, I found a way to make it happen and we reopened it and we started doing tours and they started selling out immediately. And so then I had to figure out how to increase the number of tours. And so it went on to be a wild success. And they're still doing tours at historic RCA Studio B today. That's awesome. I know growing up in an appliance store family, I was born and raised with Nipper. So I'm a RCA kid with Nipper the dog and the stereo <laughs> sitting right next to him. Yeah. Sharon, let's take our final break. And in segment number three, we're going to talk about your position at the National Corvette Museum and your vision for the future here on Corvette Today. American Hydrocarbon, your one-stop shop for custom interior, exterior, and engine bay items for your C4 through C8 Corvette. We can help you create a custom look for your Corvette with carbon fiber or 10 different color patterns and styles. We've served customers in over 28 countries all around the world. Whether it's a custom-made engine cover for your new C8 mid-engine Corvette or custom-made C4 interior upgrades, American Hydrocarbon can help you transform your Corvette into a best-in-class show car. Our products have been featured in VET and Corvette magazines, so give us a call. 813-476-5638. That's 813-476-5638. And now we're proud to announce that we can produce and distribute officially licensed GM products with a C8 Corvette. That includes the front splitter, the side skirts, engine appearance panels, and engine fluid caps. See everything on our new updated website, AmericanHydrocarbon.com. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what 
what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. And now, back to Corvette Today with your host and my husband, Steve Garrett. Hey, thank you very much for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. With me today is Sharon Bronner, the brand new president and CEO of the National Corvette Museum. As a matter of fact, in this third and final segment, we're going to talk about Sharon's vision for the future for the NCM. Sharon, this has got to be a great story. Tell me about how you got the job to be president and CEO of the National Corvette Museum and how that all transpired. Oh, my goodness. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had been with the Hall of Fame in Nashville for almost 20 years. It was just a few months shy. And I decided that it was time to take a break and evaluate what I wanted to do next. And so I did. I did just that. When you've been with an organization for that long and in executive level, when the announcement came out that I had decided to resign my position, many, many board members contacted me to say, what are you doing? What do you mean you're leaving? And where are you going? And at the time, I said I wasn't sure. I was going to take some time off and really evaluate. And so one of those board members was Lon Helton. Lon has been on the Hall of Fame board for as long as I've been there. And some of your listeners, I'm sure, know that Lon Helton is also on the board here at the NCM. And so he called and first said, what are you doing? You can't leave the Hall of Fame. (laughs) I said, I understand, but it's time. I have served for almost 20 years and I've accomplished a lot obviously experienced so many wonderful, wonderful moments. We went from that big debt I was telling you about earlier. When I left, we had $32 million in an operating reserve fund. So I had accomplished everything that I could possibly do there. So it was time for me to consider what was next. That's what I told Lon. And he said, so you don't know what you're going to do? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, you may want to take a look at the NCM. I said, why is that? And he said, well, it looks like we're going to be looking for a new CEO. And I said, you're kidding. And he said, no. And he said, just watch for it to be posted. The job is coming available. It'll be official soon. And I said, okay. And so I sure did. I watched the website and I saw the job was coming open and I applied immediately and was hopeful that I could get a good swing at it. Went through the search firm, Kittleman & Associates, who conducted the nationwide search and did the first round and I made the first round and then I got to the second round and that was with the search committee that had been formed out of the board of directors. I think there were around seven or so that were on that call. They asked me a very wide variety of questions and lots of experience questions, of course. And then I was told that I had made it to the third and final round. And so with only myself, and I believe it was three other people, we were all asked to come to Nashville, which was not a far drive for me since I was right there. And we had an in-person meeting with the search committee. We had to make a presentation. They gave us four questions in advance that we were to present to them. We did that, and I made sure that they understood that this was my job, and it was mine to have, and that they would not regret if they gave me this opportunity, because as I said earlier, 
every step of my life has been preparing me to be here right now. And so I got the job. That's fantastic. That's a great story. Talk about what were the first things you did when you arrived there at the National Corvette Museum? (laughs) Well, day one was pretty crazy because it was September 1st. Well, that happened to be the anniversary weekend. And so this place was hopping. It was not only busy with the parking lot filled with cars, but also I was arriving early that day at 7 a.m., for an all-staff meeting so that I could be introduced to the entire team. So I met first with the directors of all the departments, those folks who would be reporting directly to me. I met with them first, of course. And then we went into a town hall forum so that I could be actually sort of interviewed, much like what you and I are doing today with a moderator who walked me through a series of questions so that the team could get to know a little bit more about me rather than me have to stand up there and talk about myself. I didn't particularly see that as a good idea. So it was really a lot of fun. And then I was scurried away to do some media stuff and then right into a board meeting, for heaven's sake. So I... I walked right into a board meeting. They were all very kind. And of course, I had met half of them in the interview process. I'd met the other half the night before at a dinner, just so I would at least know all of them before I walked in here on my very first official day. I did a lot of listening. I did make a few suggestions and comments as we got into a few things that I did have some thoughts about. And the rest is history, as they say. I was off and running, and that weekend was glorious and very fun to meet a lot of members and donors and avid car enthusiasts for sure. That's a whirlwind weekend for sure, Sharon. (laughs) It was. Talk about your vision for the future of the National Corvette Museum. Hmm. That's a really big question and one that I am asked very often. I think the vision right now has to be pretty short, to be honest. I promised the board that I would do a lot of observation. I would do a lot of listening because if you just jump in and just start trying to change things without really having any proper context, dare say you might make a few mistakes. So it is important to do just that. Yes, I have made some changes in some policies and procedures, if you will, in the day-to-day operation. But it is important also to recognize that on the backside of COVID, this museum has done quite well. We're definitely having record attendance. The country is showing signs of recovery all over. People are definitely anxious to get out and to do things so that they're feeling that opportunity after sort of pent-up demand, if you will. And so we have a lot of great things going already here at this museum. But I do believe that there are a lot of opportunities to grow and to better bridge some of the assets we already have. There's been a lot of discussion of expansion in our future. Even the hotel property across the street that we recently acquired and just took it down because it had fallen in quite disrepair. And so I do believe that expansion will definitely be a part of our museum in the long vision. But I do believe that right now is not the time. Given the economics of the recovery, COVID-19, supply chain, cost of construction, etc. that probably wouldn't be the best idea right now. But I do believe that in short term, next two to three years, I believe our economics will turn around and things will get in better order so that the cost for that type of expansion and future opportunity would make a lot more sense. But It does allow us, though, this time period to really be thoughtfully thinking about it. I believe there's all kinds of stages when you're about to make those types of investments, and you got to dream it first, and then you have to start the real planning of it. 
knowing the proper data points and doing some analysis as to what do we really need, what will really serve the museum in its best capacity in the next 10 years. That takes a lot of thought. You don't just jump into an expansion. For us, the collection in and of itself is very, very good and it's going to continue to grow. And we're so thrilled that so many folks understand that this collection has needs. It's ever growing. That job is never done. We're here to celebrate the car, both its past, its current, and its future. That means the collection is never finished. And with that comes a lot of storage. It takes a lot of room to store cars, as you all well know, much less than the proper care for documents and photographs, film, video. Costumes is what we would call it in the country music industry. For us, it's more about proper attire for racing or other things like that. So storage is a big issue for a museum. It always is, and it's no different here at the Corvette Museums. Those are both short-term and long-term things. Look at the day-to-day, make sure we're running very efficiently. Let's look at the assets we already have and make sure that we're leveraging all of them to our very best ability, both to monetize and or prepare for the future. And then in that longer range, it is about expansion and other things here on the campus, continuing to partner with our motorsports park complex across the interstate, the karting facility, and who knows what else we may get into here to make this museum and Bowling Green a much more desired destination. Absolutely right. I'm glad to hear you say all that. Well, it's been a couple months since you started. Do you feel like you've settled in? Does it feel like home yet? (laughs) It's beginning to. It really is. I was just here this weekend. I attended my first Western Kentucky University football game for the first time in a long time, and certainly the first time as the CEO here at the museum. I had the privilege of participating with our Vets and Vets program to lead the parade of 82 Corvettes through downtown Bowling Green as a part of our Veterans Day celebration. Ironically, not ironically, it was very planned. What am I saying? Yes, instead of my just looking at with our Mobile One Corvette, I thought it would be a really nice idea to call Wendell Strode, our previous executive director, who is a Purple Heart recipient. And I said, Wendell, are you participating in the Veterans Day Parade? And he said, oh, I will in some sort of capacity. I said, would you be willing to ride in a Corvette with me if I drove? And he said, I absolutely love it. So he and I got to drive through the parade together, and it was quite an honor for me to do that with him, both as a predecessor in this role and, of course, as a wonderful veteran for our country. And so that was really fun. Those are just two examples right off the top of my head of how I'm starting to settle into the Bowling Green landscape here and to begin to call it home once again. Wow, that sounds like a great weekend. What a fun weekend. It was. That's great. Well, Sharon, tell me what's coming up as we start to enter here in the holiday season. What kind of upcoming events are coming up? And I know, obviously, in April of next year, we have the Michelin NCM Bash, but what else is going on right now at the National Corvette Museum? We are currently still hosting the Corvette Powered Exhibition. It will be with us till about May of next year, uh, early part of May, and then we'll be replacing that exhibition with a traveling exhibition, which is the Mattel Hot Wheels exhibit. Wow. 
and it will have many things Corvette involved in it, and it should be lots and lots of fun. We've not had that type of exhibition in that space before, and the folks at Mattel, as you can imagine, are fantastic to work with. It's a real national opportunity to have that here with us, so we're excited about that. In the shorter range between here and the end of the year, right now, we have another traveling exhibition that's actually outside of the office. I'm looking out here into the parking lot, and it's the Tunnels to Tower exhibit, which is a salute to those that were there for 9-11. There are actually folks who were first responders there on the scene at 9-11. Beyond that, as we enter into the holiday season, this, I think, will be the third year for Twinkle at the Track. Over a million lights, 250 different displays. It's a drive-through experience on the track for the holiday season. We're excited about that, and the museum is going to participate as well by having new holiday decor and lighting up the outside of the building to be a part of the holiday season, so we're excited about that. So those are the top things I can think of right off the top of my head, but there are plenty of other things in store as we get geared up for 2022. Fantastic. Sharon, thank you so much for being a guest on Corvette today. It was wonderful having you here. Continued success. We love having you here. And I'll see you in April at the National Corvette Museum, Michelin Bash. That sounds great. I look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today. And please be sure to tell your family, friends, and other Corvette enthusiasts about the Corvette Today podcast. And also thanks to our flagship sponsors, American Hydrocarbon at AmericanHydrocarbon.com, True Wealth and Company at RetireWithTrue.com. Also, Aerolari Wheels. Get $100 off your purchase with the promo code CT100 at Aerolari.com. Also, Nova Stretch Bras. Use the code Corvette Today 15 and get 15% off your total purchase at NovaStretch.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. That's stevegarrettdj at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at Steve Garrett DJ. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.